Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme and hopefully this is the last day of the rain because the forecast is set to pick up from tomorrow and Met Erin are already sort of predicting a stunning weekend with highs in some parts of the country up to 21 degrees so bring it on. We certainly have had enough uh, rain and talking of weather predictions, you know the Donegal postman Michael Gallagher, we've had him on the programme uh, in the past, he has now given his prediction for the summer of 2021 and he uses traditional methods that have been passed down to him from older generations and that's how he has managed to predict and he gives long-term predictions. So he was asked how does he think things are looking for June, July and August and he says he's of the belief that we are in for a warm and sunny summer and he's saying it hopes he's hoping that his prediction will offer some hope especially for young people people uh, because of the year everybody's not just young people Michael we all want the uh, sun the, we all want the sunshine uh, but that's what he's he's that's what he's looking at looking at the predictions and he looks at things like the nature and how animals are and he looks at berries on the trees and it's it's all old traditions that he has were passed down within his family but then as a postman going around he spoke over the years to a lot of older people and he's really hoping now that somebody else, some other younger person will keep on the traditions because he's fearful that his way of predicting weather will die at, with him. But anyway, according to Michael Gallagher, the Donegal postman, we're in for a scorcher of a summer for June, July and August and I'll, I'll take that. Thank you very much for that, uh, Michael. A lovely email in for, from uh, to Patricia at c103.ie from Joe that I want to give a shout out to and a mention to for fear that I put it aside and then don't get a chance uh, to mention it. It's uh, Joe says, Patricia, I want to tell you how wonderful all of the staff at the Bantry Primary Care Centre, the vaccination centre are. I drove my husband there for his vaccination today. That was yesterday, Wednesday. Mine was on a different day. But to save us driving back to Bantry again, they said, Usher, come on in. We'll do you at the same time. Every single member of staff were fantastic. The medical and especially the non-medical staff. There was staff at every corner showing you where to go. They were professional and at the same time, they were human. Neither of us do needles uh, and our eagerness to get in and get it done and get out there was very obvious. We were in at 1.45 and at 2.03, not incredible, 18 minutes later, we were both back in the car 
heading for home. Thank you for making the experience less stressful. Thankfully, we had the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, so we don't need to go back for a second jab. Slightly painful arm this morning, but apart from that, we're good. Oh, well done, Joe. That is terrific. I don't know how far to Bantry she had to. They had to travel. But isn't that great that they... And we've heard that before, where it's possible. Now, I know you'll have others saying, oh, well, we asked and they couldn't fit me in. It's just if it's possible and if they know they have enough vaccine on a particular day and they might be aware that there's going to be some cancellations and if they can do anything to help people out, they do. They really are fantastic. And well done. It's There's almost like a little bit of vaccine envy when you hear of people getting the Johnson & Johnson, the fact that they only have to go once and within two weeks you'll be fully vaccinated as well. So well done to you and to your husband. And it comes, does it not, with great peace of mind. I was speaking about parking with Ken in the last hour on his breakfast show this morning he was uh, talking about uh, parking and I I admitted driving into parking spaces don't forget about getting to reverse into a parking space I wouldn't even attempt it somebody said Patricia was listening to me with Ken saying I know exactly what you mean when it comes to uh, parking I have often listen to this I have often driven home says this listener if I can't just drive in and drive out of a parking space space, especially at some of the newer shopping centres where the parking spaces seem to be incredibly tight. I actually thought I was the only person that this was happening to. And that's from a Ballylanders woman who says, I think it's St. Michael is the saint you should be praying to to help with your parking. (laughs) It's a saint for all occasions, isn't it? I just do my parking in just in the hope that they can find me a parking space. I've never been as bad as that, that I've had to drive home because I couldn't find a parking space but I have been known to drive around a car park a couple of times in order to find an ideal uh, parking space but I definitely have come to the conclusion in the last probably 10 maybe 10-15 years that when they build new shopping centres and when they build new parking spaces they definitely are smaller and I know the theory behind it they're trying to get more spaces so that they can get more people in into the shops but it certainly doesn't make it easy if you are not very good at parking or God help anyone who's got a very large car when I look at some people driving some you know the big people carriers and you'd see a lot of families if they have children because they're obviously very safe for travelling in with children but I know how I would never hope in hell of parking at one of those John Paul taking your calls this morning 1850 103. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And we are going to be talking about the fall to Ireland uh, guidelines, which were finally released yesterday for pubs and restaurants. They will allow six adults to sit around a table together. But that number can go up to 15 if it's families and you want to bring the kiddies with you. So you can have six adults and nine children all sitting together indoors and outdoors. Now, experts have said that their greatest concern is about the risk of spreading the virus indoors. I don't think a lot of people are worried about when we start to open up outdoors, which is what it's going to be initially. But it's when we move indoors and the idea of 15 people grouped around a table, be it that nine of them are children, worries, is starting to worry a number of people. I know Professor Anthony Staines, he's with Dublin City University. He said that while outdoors is safer, he said our case numbers are still high. And he said we're flying blind a little bit at the moment because of the lack of data due to the cyber attack. Because of the cyber attack, for example, we're not getting breakdowns of what the clusters are like in different counties. So we've no idea, for example, of knowing how many cases we have here in in Cork. Uh, There seems to be indications that a number of the cases are coming from Limerick. But people 
people like to know if they're living in an area where there is a lot of COVID because I think you know people then make decisions about if they'll go out or not if they know that there's a lot of, of COVID cases in a particular area and because of the cyber attack we are lacking slightly on uh, data. Professor Anthony Stein says he said the risk of the more infectious so-called Indian variant meant the situation could get out of control and he said it could happen before we even realise it. He said we are go. he reckons we're going back in of coming out of lockdown too fast. He said, I hope we'll get away with it because he said nobody, absolutely nobody wants another outbreak and certainly nobody wants a fourth wave. Then Kingston Mills, who is the Professor of Experimental Immunology at Trinity College. He again, he's saying the outdoors is less problematic. He said, but once you put a significant number of people into an indoor setting like a pub, he said, you're then creating the very right conditions for the spread of the virus. He again Again, pointed to the rise in cases of the Indian variant, particularly across the water in the United Kingdom and also to the recent evidence that just one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine offers lower protection against this form of the virus. We were talking about this yesterday, I think it's 33% for people who've had their first jab of things like Pfizer, Moderna or AstraZeneca and we have so many people in this country who are on one jab. I'm, I'm in that group. Delighted to have got my first jab but can't wait to get my second jab and there's a sense of nervousness around people who have AstraZeneca because they've got to wait three months to get their second jab whereas people with the Pfizer only have to wait uh, four weeks and then the lucky ones are the ones who with the Johnson & Johnson because after two weeks they are then fully vaccinated but then on kind of a more positive note is Professor Emer Shelley She's the Dean of Public Health at the Royal College of Physicians. She said, this is on the children being allowed, the nine children being around, allowed around the table with six adults. She says there's an advantage of having children at an indoor table at an outing with other parents because she says picture the scene when that happens it'll happen earlier in the day and she reckons the adults at that table will be less likely to get involved in drinking a lot of alcohol because they'll have the children with them she said children could and will have the virus but children we know are likely to have a milder illness and they also the evidence is there children seem to transmit the virus at a lower rate than adults do so she's not that worried about the children being there and she said there is something to be said for families getting together compared say to a group of adults getting together later at night because if you take the children out of the picture and you just have the adults around the table and it's later in the evening what happens all the adults are going to drink more more alcohol and that's when people may leave their guard down. However she did warn that the big risk comes from people from other countries countries that have a higher incidence of virus travelling into countries with a lower rate so we know we've lower rates at the moment so I suppose what she's saying there the worry is is when we open up to allow people come into our country without without being forced to self-isolate or go into mandatory hotel quarantine she can foresee problems happening there. Now it's still unclear if the Falta Ireland guidelines will be endorsed by the Health Protection Surveillance Centre remember what was announced yesterday are just guidelines but it's the that's the, the Health Protection Surveillance Guidelines that's our disease watchdog and they are the ones who produce the official guidance around the easing of lockdown measures. So the fault Ireland guidelines would have gone to the HPSC and they then will make the final sign sign off on it. And the government of course will face key decisions before the announcement tomorrow on the setting of a timetable uh, to both reopen the indoor. We know that the uh, what's going to happen with the outdoor dining but 
people are waiting to see when is the indoor dining going to happen but they also tomorrow the government have to lay out a timetable for the reopening of foreign travel it'll happen sometime in the uh, summer and of course the big concern for us is the United Kingdom what's going to happen there will we be opening up the common travel brand between Ireland and England France yesterday declared mandatory quarantining period for travellers arriving from the UK they do not want to bring in the Indian variant into their country. We know, as we mentioned yesterday, Austria has already banned direct flights from the UK and people travelling from the UK into Germany uh, must go uh, quarantine for uh, two weeks. So there's still a lot to be decided uh, before the Taoiseach Michael Martin officially makes that announcement tomorrow. Mary says, Patricia, have you any idea on, uh, is there any information on vaccines for the over 40 and has it started yet? Uh, The last I saw was that the registration portal for people aged 40 to 44 may open next week. They still haven't got a date. I I thought that it was going to open at the kind of the end of this week, maybe across the weekend, but there's no announcement yet and the latest I've seen is that it may open next week. But what I, what I have been hearing is because they have worked through the over 50s and are flying through the over 50s, that they've started. Some people in the 45 to 49 age group have started to get calls to go in for vaccines. Now, I know some of the vaccination centres are closed uh, this week is to give them a little bit of a break. Today, for example, Mallow uh, vaccination centre is closed today and one of the city ones is closed today and one of the city ones is closed across the weekend as well and it's kind of to give the staff a little bit of, of time off as well and I know there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes now to get ready for the second dose for the AstraZeneca for a lot of people who got their first dose back in February and March they're due second doses so they're working on getting that so I imagine people are going to start getting calls into that uh, across the weekend and into next week but as of now no the portal for the 40, 40 to 44 years hasn't opened yet but as soon as it does and as soon as we hear about it we will bring it to you and hi says another listener I'm a bit confused I'm staying in a hotel the weekend after next does that mean that we can only stay for 105 minutes in the restaurant where we have to go away for an hour and then come back again I'm, I, I'm, we're trying to get that uh, checked because I know that the rules and regulations for people staying in a hotel as residents from what I can gather are different because for example if you're a resident in a hotel there's indoor indoor dining whereas normal restaurants when they're allowed to open they're only outdoor dining until July so there is a bit of a difference there we're going to get it checked because I'm in the same boat as well I'll be staying in a hotel the weekend after next as well so it's something I need to know as well so we're we're working on trying to find out what is the answer to that John and Clannacilty says on the relieving of restrictions. The government said it would change for people who are vaccinated. There would be like a vaccination bonus but there's no free card for the vaccinated. It seems to be the same rules for all. It does, John, but I'm assuming that as we move through the summer and more people are vaccinated and more people get fully vaccinated that then there will be a further easing of restrictions particularly for people that are vaccinated but as of now what they're announcing certainly so far it is one rule for uh, all. And just on weather Finbar in the Bantry says Patricia I'm getting very disillusioned with Met Aaron. They promised us nice weather last Tuesday. It ended up being cold and miserable. (laughs) 
<laughs> in Bantry. Stay safe, says Finbar in Bantry. Yeah, they, they tried to do the best that they can. They were telling us that from midweek of this week it was meant to have been fine, but that certainly didn't materialise. But they are promising us, promising us good weather for the weekend, so let's keep our fingers crossed. Uh, let's take a break. John Paul taking your calls, 1850-333-103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Binafall Cork East Dáil Deputy James O'Connor has hit out at Neffet over the failure to allow mass antigen testing in Ireland in relation to mass gatherings. To share his views, Deputy James O'Connor joins me. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Antigen testing has been used very successfully in other countries. Do you believe it's time that we at least even tried to trial it here? Definitely. I think, you know, the time has come for us to start to look at these as options in terms of the battle against COVID-19. A very interesting uh, report that was done by government, Patricia, uh, was commissioned by Professor Mark Ferguson, who is the head of the Science Foundation of Ireland. And a panel of experts was brought together um, to assemble a report into the benefits of of antigen testing. Now, it's important to say that there was a a number of different views and opinions uh, in relation to antigen testing. Uh, but but the vast majority of the panel of experts in, in relation to that were in favour of us. And I feel that it has uh, huge advantages if we're going to be returning, hopefully later in the year, uh, to mass events uh, like sports games, uh, you know, uh, indoor concerts, outdoor concerts as well. Uh, so from that perspective, it's quite exciting. Why do you believe that Neffet seem to be so against antigen testing? My personal view and read from working with many people in the private sector, in the Oireachtas committees and, and, and those that have been badly affected by COVID-19 that have come before us in the Oireachtas committees, uh, is that Neffet's view is that they just don't want people gathering. They're very, very worried about things like the Indian variant, for example, spreading. Um, of course, people who are vaccinated after their first dose, I think, are estimated to have around 30% um, immunity from the Indian variant of COVID-19. So I think that the Neffet's approach is a cautious one. Uh, but, you know, it was said last night um, by one colleague of mine in Dublin, Deputy John Lahart, uh, where he said that we can afford to be a little bit more bold than we were before Christmas because the vaccination process is advancing at an enormous rate. Uh, I was discussing it in the Dáil Chamber only a few moments ago, Patricia, that we're going to be soon reaching targets of close to 400,000 doses per week. Yeah, so we're going to hit a point at the end of June and it's going to be a different world. Yeah, because Professor Luke O'Neill of uh, Trinity College, he's been saying for months that we should be using antigen testing. I mean, it, it would literally be another weapon in our armoury against COVID. I mean, that, that's the case for it, isn't it? I think it is. And Professor O'Neill, you know, he, he's right in that regard. Um, one area that, you know, that, that, that antigen testing could have a huge impact on as well, of course, is aviation. And what we will see this Friday, important for people to know, there's going to be a raft of really important announcements around the next phase of the reopening of society over the next two and three months. I'm expecting to hear details about international travel, about uh, test antigen events that potentially will be run by the Department of Arts and Culture. So we could see five and 6,000 people returning to, to venues as long as they're able to say that they're, they're negative for COVID-19 through unofficial testing regime. And just one point on that, Patricia, it's important to to outline it. You know, antigen testing is not suitable in every setting, but it is in a controlled environment like an airport or a stadium or, uh, you know, a concert venue like an opera house. 
so from that regard, I think you know it, it gives us an exciting opportunity to get back to a degree of normality. And I'm fully, fully um, of the view that we can do that by the end of August, by the start of September, given the current progress in the vaccination. But I suppose the downside is the antigen testing, they say, is only 50% effective versus the PCR test. I mean, would that worry you? So that's an interesting point covered very much in the Ferguson report. You know, there's obviously many different uh, companies that are offering their own um, antigen tests uh, with varying degrees of accuracy. Uh, I think there was 150 separate antigen tests that were looked at by uh, the government of the United Kingdom, for example, and they only found that 12 of that 150 were deemed to be of a high enough standard in terms of the accuracy levels of using the system. But the difference, of course, between antigen and PCR is that the antigen tests are very, very rapid in the sense that some of them take 15 minutes to give a result. Uh, Some PCR tests take over, you know, 12 hours and 24 hours to get a result. So it's not beyond the bounds of reason for people to, you know, try one or two or three antigen tests if we get to a point where they'll be available en masse. Uh, And the other point as well in relation to to the antigen, of course, is the cost. It's significantly less than PCR. And that's going to be very, very important for international travel. But Patricia, one one point as well. I I just spoke to the Minister for Health about it. The vaccine bonus uh, for people who have been, after they're getting their first dose or getting their two doses, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very exciting time for them too. And over the next three months, you know, their lives are going to change uh, back to the way that they used to be. And in terms of, you know, hopefully government putting in measures as well for people who received their... Well, their well it's funny because I'm, I'm going to be talking uh, later on in the programme about the Fault Ireland guidelines uh, that were announced uh, yesterday. And already uh, listeners are commenting about the, the guidelines that were announced. And one listener actually made that point, somebody who is fully vaccinated. We've been promising for fully vaccinated people that there would be a vaccine bonus. But looking at the guidelines for yesterday, it's the same rules for, for everyone. I mean, we need to start working on bonuses for people who are fully vaccinated. You're dead right. And something I'm very much of the view, I said it last night to the Taoiseach and the Minister for Health um, at our parliamentary party, we have to start to think about life post-COVID. And it's hard to say it out loud, and people at home might be in a sense of disbelief, but the reality is, come the end of September, we're going to be in a country where almost everybody will have received their first and second dose. I'm the last uh, member of the Oireachtas that's probably going to get vaccinated given my age. Uh, but it's not beyond the bounds of reason for us now to plan and to give people an insight as where we're going to be in the autumn. Uh, because the reality is is that it's going to be a very, very good place, hopefully. Um, the only spanner in the works here is, and just to be to be straight with people from what I'm hearing at a political level, is the Indian variant. I'm confident that given the scale and progress of the vaccination rollout, Patricia, uh, that you know we'll be able to keep the, the, the Indian variant suppressed in Ireland. Um, it does represent a risk for people who are after their first dose, a minimal risk of about 30%, uh, but, but it is something that we have to keep our eye on. But, but does that mean tonight, limiting travel between Ireland and England? Uh, between Ireland and England, my understanding is, is that this Friday we will get a full understanding of the common travel area and the resumption of travel. Now, my gut tells me that the PCR testing will probably remain for international travel for those who are unvaccinated or haven't received both doses in cases where they've been given vaccinations that require two doses. So that that is obviously going to be with us for the for the next number of weeks. Um, but I would see changes coming uh, in the very near future. And the point here actually is an important one to make. 
you know, I do think at the end of June, uh, in about five, five weeks' time and six weeks' time, the government will have a second opportunity to look at things like the False Show Ireland guidelines, to look at things like uh, the vaccination bonus and uh, international travel, because we'll be in a context in Patricia where over 80%, some estimates are up to 84 and 85% of adults will have received their first dose or their second dose. So that's that's uh, that's a very exciting and, and and good prospect for us all to look forward. But to. you but you don't see the Taoiseach tomorrow announcing that the common travel area is open and that people can travel without having to quarantine. You don't see that happening. So what I see happening tomorrow, uh, if I was to just just to try and judge, I would imagine that the people who are fully vaccinated will be able to travel freely. So that's that's not that great of a deal of people. It's just over half a million at present. But that will grow uh, at an enormous rate over the next five and six weeks. Um, I see a situation for people who have received their first dose of their vaccine will, will still be required to have a PCR test, something I personally disagree with. I want to see antigen testing in our airports, uh, and they may surprise us tomorrow by doing so. Um, but I do think that will change in a month's time again, because we've, we have gone from one context where you know we have two and a half million doses administered to well over 4 million potentially by the end of June. Uh, and, and that would be a very different context for decision makers uh, that are involved uh, uh, with cabinet decisions. OK. All right, listen, James, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Corky's Fianna Fáil at Dole, Deputy James O'Connor. 1850-333-103. Lines open. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now plans to make the town of Donneret even more attractive and safer for visitors have been drawn up by Cork County Council thanks to the beauty of Donneret court and its stunning parklands the area is fast becoming a tourist mecca but it seems not all local people are happy with the council's plans. Bill Trevard is a member of Donorail Business Association and Bill joins me this morning. Good morning to you Bill. Good morning Patricia, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now the council's plans include traffic calming, new planters, bespoke seating, new granite paving and public lighting. What not to love? Why are you and some local people against these plans? What are you not happy with? Well I don't think anybody's against it. I think think there's been a lack of consultation about the, the... what the residents and local businesses need in Donrail, and you know, much much as we appreciate the you know the efforts the Cork County Council and the OPW have gone to to um, you make Donrail attractive, there's a real worry that the the parking situation, which is dire, to put it mildly, um, and you know much. Much of it's, it's easy to say that you know that to attract more visitors is very good for local businesses, but when the visitors can't park outside the shops or can't park in the town, it becomes a real problem. And so, where, whereas you know we we genuinely welcome um, any input from Cork County Council to make Donnell better, we're just concerned that the needs of locals, residents living on the town, and businesses in the town should be addressed and. The, the thought of losing any parking spaces is, is, is pretty horrific to many people. Because so, you're, you're saying that the parking is dire already without yeah, losing additional parking spaces. Absolutely. Well, we lost parking about 10 years ago and, and 
when when they redid the pavements and the town and and we also they also put bollards in so we have a, a continually issue with people damaging their cars by opening doors onto bollards but that's you know that's only only one point but the i think the real problem in recent years is as the park has has taken off um people have wised up to the fact that you can park in the town and walk through Fishpond Lane straight into the park. So so we have this situation where, you know, there's cars uh, abandoned in the town for hours on end. Um, you know, and, and it makes it very difficult for people who may need to go to, to the pharmacy or, the, you know, get their hair cut or... Yeah, just pop, you know, to, and, pop to the local shops. And yeah, under and these plans, how many parking spaces would you lose? Well, we don't know, do we? And I think, in fairness to Cork County Council, I, you know, I think, I think possibly the way it was it was broken on social media on on uh, over the weekend was unfortunate because I don't think, you know, I don't. I don't it's, Cork County Council isn't a dictatorship. They're very happy to listen to people, and we're very happy that they'll, you know, consider Donrel for funding. You know, if if you if you go back to yesterday when you were talking to the councillor from West Cork who showed how little funding County Cork gets. So we're delighted to, you know, to be in be the, getting any funding. In the crosshairs. But and all we say, I mean we it's Donrell people, there's residents living on the street who have lived there for, you know, generations. And all we hope is that they'll be respected. And, you know, their right to park outside their houses you know, is is respected. And and to, to, you know, it, it's a lovely idea to have a dare-like sort of um, streetscapes with, you know, wine bars and cafes and gift shops, but you know, it doesn't actually bring much to the table for local people. And, and you know, all businesses in Donrell are locally owned, you know, and have been. So, so what years. you're saying is it can't all be about about visitors. No, now, I know that the not. council officials say that they will consult with local yeah. business people, like your good self and uh, and local people. But what I get, what I take from what you're saying, you would have preferred those consultations to have taken place before this was announced. Well, I think it would have been. I think it would have been smart. I think the wires have got crossed somewhere along the line. But uh, you know, I. I I hasten to add, I don't think Cork County Council are out there to wind anybody up. I think it's it's more a case of, you know, with with, with COVID and social distancing and the, and the difficulties. And, and one other major problem with consulting with anybody in Donnell is the mobile phone signal, which is non-existent. So it's not it's not easy to okay. for them. You know? So I don't know. I don't. You know, it it was unfortunate the way it was. It was. Um, Okay, I want to bring in, let's let's bring in one of the local councillors. Actually, before I do, can I just tell you that the N72 is closed at the Cork Racecourse at Mallow. Unfortunately, there's been an accident there, but they've now been forced to close the road. So the N72 closed at the uh, racecourse. Now, let me bring in a local councillor, Kay Dawson, who's on the other line. Good morning to you, Kay. Good morning, Patricia. And okay, it, this sounds like really fantastic and ambitious plans for uh, Donorel. But do you accept what Bill is saying that perhaps you should the officials should have spoken to the people and the business community before making any decisions? I accept it totally, and it was never done with the intention of causing the upset and 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 with genuine reason to be upset. Like anyone that would know my background, that I live and believe by a bottom up approach. 
and it was never intentional by the staff county council for this to happen. I think COVID has given us challenges, Patricia, that we normally wouldn't have. We say this funding was sought, and and uh, this one I I think Daniel needs to hear as well. It, it was sought for to improve the approach to the town and some of the um, cartilage of the town as well, right? Mm. So. So some ideas that I'm getting from people because my phone has been going non-stop since the weekend um, that you could completely change what you were going to spend the funding on. That piece, I, I, I can categorically say, because this is national funding, when you applied for it, you applied for it under a category. So, so while that piece, it has to be spent on those things, it doesn't mean that it will be spent in the manner in which the provisional, and I state they were provisional plans, they haven't been finalised at all. All right, the parking seems to be the big one, though, okay? And and, 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 and I, I saw that very strong. Yeah, and yeah. I saw it being said that additional parking. Uh, that I mean, the council accept. I think that the you know the main bone of contention was going to be the loss of parking spaces. But I mean, it was suggested that you could go to the OPW and be get additional parking spaces within Donnerill Court. But that's not of most use to somebody who wants to pull up to a shop to get their shopping done. Or as Bill said, somebody going to the hairdressers to get their hair done. Parking in Donnerill Court is too far away. Yeah, and, and, and it's this key that we remember that this, this the local people come first and and that their needs are met, right? And and I think where we're at at the moment, like Mary Hayes, Polly Moriarty are available and willing to talk and to consult. Now, it is really difficult. We can't hold a public meeting. We can't go into, like you normally would, put out plans and get suggestions in the community centre um, because of COVID. But they, anyone that wants to contact them can, and they are contacting people as it is at the moment. Okay, let's it can be for us as councillors as a provisional plan, but I think it was reported here like as if it was a... A fait accompli, and it's, yeah, and it's and not. That, and it's that's not. not the case. Okay, so. Bill, do, do you take comfort from that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, we... we, we yeah, totally. I mean, they, they, it, would, it just wasn't going to happen the way it was was said. I, yeah, I think it's just unfortunate the way it was it was landing on on, on everybody. Um, and like I say, I think everybody is, you know, people, people who live in Donrell, you know, the local people are very passionate about their town and, and you know, they're not naive enough to, to not to see the benefits that the, the park and, and the house bring to the town very uniquely as well. So, you know, it, it's good. And I mean, there's, there's you know, Donrell bucks the trend, really, because, we, you know, you, you can buy anything you want in Donrell. We haven't sort of sold out. We haven't, yeah. um, you know, we haven't, we haven't um, gone online or particularly or, or, or sold out to the likes of Amazon. You can buy anything in Donrell, you know, whether and, it be but, fish or appliances. And it's important that those, you know, that those businesses are, are enabled to thrive. And not only that, there's, there's, shops that are, are, are reopening and, and you know, we, we hope that with input from the council that we encourage other shops. To, yeah, because to, to Kay, that, that is part of the plan as well, isn't it? That this plan would provide a platform for new businesses to open. It would. Like, like we're absolutely committed as county councillors and as council staff to keep the vibrancy of our towns and our villages alive. And Donnerell, I suppose, is in the fortunate position that it has, for, the, for my municipal district, it is the biggest tourist attraction that that you could get any place. Like, it, 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 it's not tokenistic when we say it's the jewel in the crown. Mm. But it is key that, that local people don't suffer because of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so yeah. the consultation has to happen, and, and it will happen. I promise 
um, anybody out there in Donnerell, if they contact the Mellow office for Mary Hayes or the Fomai office for Polly Moriarty, they're more than willing to discuss um, any of the plans and to take on board the concerns of local people, do you know? And um, there was also good news that the OPW is to go for more funding for the restoration of the of the house, Donnerell yes. Court. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. that. And, 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 and like if you look at you know the great tents that were there that there was going to be concerts and there was going to be yeah. those things will come they will. They they will. to your interview just beforehand. Like things are improving Patricia and um, and Bill said there about the poor internet. I actually was in Donnerill last night and I tried to ring back home and my, my mobile I had to drive around to get it to work. Yeah, is is it that bad Bill? It's shocking and I do, do you know something I mean I don't know if it I mean, for anybody who lives in the, in the town, it's horrendous. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not unusual to see somebody standing in the middle of the road trying to take a phone call. Um, but I think, you know, when, you, when you've got a town with half a million visitors um, each year and, you know, spanning 450 acres, you know, if anything ever happened to anybody in that part, yeah. you know, the fact that you can't even phone... An ambulance Can I just say on, on that bill, part of this money is to boost that service and the internet connectivity around Donneril. So well, that's, that's another good yeah. piece that will come out of it. You know, yeah, that, and, 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 and it's in these discussions that we learn, like we, we don't all live in, in the area. It, it is local people that will know what to prioritise and what needed most. And that's the piece. And maybe the cat was a little bit before the horse this time in that some of the plans coming out, and I say again, professional ones, ahead of the consultation. And, and we apologise for that. OK, well done. Yeah. Well done. OK, listen, we'll, we, we will keep a close eye on this and keep in contact with both of you. Uh, but it's a good news story for John O'Reilly. And that's, I think so. And that's, and that's what we need to get out. And if I and could ta- just say... thank you for facilitating that. Pursuit. No problem, Kay. Go, yeah. fine, Bill, final word to you? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, if, if, if Kay... Um, you know, or the county council do, you know, have have any information. We do have, you know, social media pages. There's lot, you know, lots of different groups in Donrell, and as long as as long as the news is 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 out there for people to see, I think that's you know that's the key to it. And and you know, it, it, I don't think there's any malice at all in what happened. No. It was just unfortunate. But, but communication, keep people informed. That's, that's what that's, it's all about. That's the key. All yeah. right, we leave it there. Uh, thank you for that, and thank you both for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you very Thank much. You. Good morning Bye-bye. to you, Councillor Kay Dawson and also uh, Bill Trevard, who is a member of the Donnerell Business Association. 1850-333-103. Just to update you on that, that the N72 remains closed at the Cork Racecourse in Mallow. Uh, it was following an accident. Emergency services were called to a two-car collision at uh, 10 o'clock. Gardaí say the road will be closed for several hours due to debris and hopefully everybody is okay in that accident. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, following our discussion about Donneray in the last hour, Billy and Bandon was on uh, to say, listened with interest to the discussion about Donneray, particularly about the removal of car park spaces. He said a lot, he feels a lot of this is coming from the Green Party agenda and the fact that Eamon Ryan is in government with the Green Party. They have a policy of getting more people out on foot and on bicycles, which is fine in areas where you've got good public transport, but it doesn't always work in local towns, particularly rural areas. 
A lot of these changes he feels is because of Green Party policies coming down the stream to local councillors. Well I thought it was really good to hear uh, Kate Dawson as a local councillor saying look we are willing to listen, we will talk to people, we'll hear what people are saying on the ground and they will amend accordingly which is which is terrific to hear that Cork County Council are uh, doing that. Thank you for your call uh, Billy. Michael in Butterfield said this is on the reopening of the country. For me and others who are waiting on our second shot of AstraZeneca and as we know there's a 12 week wait between the first and the second. I feel we should we are opening up too soon. We shouldn't be opening up particularly travel into this country, foreign travel, travel from the United Kingdom. When we look at other countries, look at the harm that the Indian variant has done. We need to go very, very slowly with the reopening of this country. And we do know we have the Indian variant, but we have the Indian variant in very low numbers, thankfully, at the moment. But I suppose the worry is if we open up too quickly and allow too many people in and some of those people will come carrying the Indian variant, not realising that they're bringing the Indian variant with them. But will we end up like what happened over Christmas when the Kent variant uh, came in and then just ran through this through this uh, country? So you're not on your own, Michael. I think a number of people are nervous particularly I think until people have their second jab and are then deemed fully vaccinated. I think it's only then people will sort of heave a sigh of relief. And on the opening up, one of the items and we're going to be discussing the Fall to Ireland uh, guidelines is to do with no live music. Uh, Johnny Amalo says I'm a musician. We are the first to be out promoting this country and the first to hand to provide live music again. We've been thrown under the bus. No live music. How are we expected to survive? I think a lot of people would have been disappointed when those guidelines got announced yesterday and there's to be initially there's to be no live music. And the listener who contacted us, thank you for that Johnny, the listener who contacted us about staying in a hotel the weekend after next because from next week the hotels start to reopen and if you are a guest of a hotel then you can have indoor dining and you can have indoor drinks but this listener is, is hearing about the Fault Ireland guidelines of the 105 minutes and will that be the same for a resident in a hotel? So I went on to Fault Ireland and I've down loaded the guidelines. There's 45 pages of the guidelines so I had to quickly try and go through it during the news at 11 but I found the piece pertaining to hotels, restaurants and bars to do with indoor dining and this is as I say this is on the reopening the guidelines on the reopening for hotels and guest houses and it says physical distancing of two metres should be maintained between tables in an indoor setting however if this isn't possible you can reduce it to one metre but if they reduce it to one metre that means pre-booked time limit slots must be in place for customers with the maximum of 105 minutes duration plus 15 minutes then to allow for adequate uh, cleaning. So do I take it from that that what hotels will do for their guests is they will make sure that the tables are two metres apart which means the 105 minute rule won't apply. The only thing is if you're staying in a hotel if your 105 minutes are up you then will be able to go to the residence bar because you'll be able to go to the bar so you're not going to be like thrown out and sitting in your room. I'm assuming that that's what's going to happen but I take it what most hotels will do because they'll know the number of guests that they have in they'll just space out the tables to make sure that everybody is two metres apart so they won't have to be putting a clock start on somebody staying in a hotel. But It'll be individual. It'll be up to each hotel and how they interpret uh, the guidelines. Now, also, somebody's picking me up on something I mentioned earlier. I was talking about the fact that some of the vaccination centres are closed 
Today, for example, there's no vaccines going on at the Mallow Vaccination Centre and Porky and City Hall is also uh, no vaccinations going on today there. And then Porky Cree Vaccination Centre, that will be closed on Friday and Saturday. And I said it was to give the staff at the vaccination centre a break. Well, somebody says, Patricia, the vaccination centres aren't closed to give the staff a break. It's because they're out of vaccines currently. It's a seven day service and every one of the staff is more than willing to be available. How do I know this? My mother is a vaccinator in Mallow and she would like you to correct, she would like to correct you in saying it's not a day off. Well, where did I get the word that it was a day off? Well, that was from a spokesperson for the Cork Kerry Community Health Care and they're the ones who operate the uh, centres and they were making the point that the centres have met and continued to meet their targets and have actually gone above in some incidents and because of that they decided to do planned closures this week and they say it was allow staff to take, to take a little bit of a break so that's where I got that from but uh, but absolutely they've probably tied it in with the fact that they don't have vaccines either there also are it's allowing them time to begin scheduling the second doses of AstraZeneca which are currently due and that some of the vaccinations for healthcare workers will take place at those uh, centres but others will be in healthcare settings so I'm assuming from next week people who are awaiting the second dose of AstraZeneca you should be getting calls for that but this listener is saying her mother will be more than willing to go into work and they have gone listen the staff who work in those vaccination centres have consistently gone above and beyond and it has been it's, it's, it's been fantastic to get and even only this morning I opened the programme with a text in from a listener who had been at the vaccination centre in Bantry talking about how great the staff were they have gone above and beyond and if they can get a bit of a break by having a day off I'd say give it to him let him have a break wish your mother well and uh, tell her that each and every one of those people in those vaccination centres are so so much uh, appreciated and staying on vaccinations Mavis has a lovely story she says back in February my husband who is in his late 80s was called for his first jab I took him into the doctor it was in Clonakilty the doctor he asked when husband went in Mavis obviously was sitting out in the car the doctor asked about Mavis and what was happening with Mavis's vaccination and John my husband said oh she's out in the car she's waiting she hasn't got a call yet and the doctor told John my husband bring her in and he gave me my vaccination at the same time we've actually had our second ones in uh, March it was the local doctor at Faxbridge I'm very grateful well done yeah, the GPs have been great as well remember the GPs have vaccinated a huge number of people as well and have done uh, have done really really well and their staff have gone have gone above and beyond as well Hi Patricia listening to your comments on uh, COVID and about alcohol. Alcohol is not spreading the virus and in my view if the pubs were allowed to open with a responsible outlook and proper social distancing surely this would be safer than the house parties that are being reported in various parts of the country. Now I'm not a big drinker myself but I do enjoy a sensible social pint now and again. I'm sure the landlords are waiting to reopen so I would think they would make sure that the rules are upheld in their premises. Thanking you Yael and it's the Vintners Federation we're going to be talking about in a couple of minutes uh, to do with the uh, guidelines. Uh, hi Patricia, this is on parking. Oh, this saddened me greatly. greatly. I'm a wheelchair user, so therefore I have uh, a disabled parking disc. Tuesday of last week, I had an appointment at the Infusion Clinic at the Cork University Hospital. It was at 7.30am in the morning. I got there at 7am. Would you believe I couldn't get a parking space? These are the disabled bays that are right outside the A&E department. There was five cars and two vans parked in the disabled parking spaces 
and not one of them had a disabled parking badge. Now, I know it was early, but security would want to wake up and do their job. When I did finally get a parking space and I did get in, I complained to a member of staff and they said they would look into it uh, for me. That is hugely frustrating. I mean, it's frustrating enough if you're a wheelchair user and you have a disabled parking disc and you arrive at somewhere and someone is in the parking bay who has a disabled parking disc and that's frustrating enough knowing you've got to wait for the space. But to actually get there and to discover that every single one of the spaces was taken up, seven spaces taken up because there's a lot of spaces there, all of them taken up and not one of them had a disabled parking badge. I am glad that you reported it to them. Anne says, Patricia, I heard Professor Kingston Mills saying once again, us in our 60s are only 30% covered after the first job with jab with AstraZeneca and even when we get our second jab we'll only be 60% covered against the Indian variant. We are the most vulnerable and a campaign needs to be highlighted for Pfizer to be given as the second jab. I am frustrated as no one seems to be pushing for this thanking you Suzanne and the only thing I would say to you Anne is I because in my household we have we have Marcia who's got AstraZeneca there's me with Pfizer and then I've got my husband who's got Johnson Johnson so we've got all different vaccines so I've been constantly looking into how effective all of the different vaccines are just to make sure that we're all really really safe particularly with this Indian variant the one thing I have discovered in a lot of research that's going on at the moment and of course a lot of real world trials are going on now as more and more people are being vaccinated anyone who got the AstraZeneca are the Johnson and Johnson the Janssen uh, vaccine they are a different type of vaccine to say the Pfizer and the Moderna and yes on paper and in the trials the Pfizer and Moderna came out higher in being more effective against a lot of the variants and then the AstraZeneca and the Janssen one particularly in the Indian variant comes out around the mid 60s for effectiveness but that's even in even in it, the mid-60s, that gives you really, really high protection. But the difference with the AstraZeneca and the Janssen is every week after you're fully vaccinated, that vaccine continues to work in your system and continues to build your immunity, which is different to the Pfizer and the Moderna. The Pfizer and Moderna, you get the second jab, you reach the highest level of its effectiveness and then it's, it stays there. Whereas with the AstraZeneca and the Janssen and Janssen, it's been deemed the, they're the, deemed the vaccines that keep on giving. So I, would, don't, I wouldn't be worried um, in thinking um, you're not going to be protected you will be and even even at even allowing for 60% a good vaccine this time last year when we, we had no sight of a vaccine they were only working on all of the trials we were told if some company a pharmaceutical company could come up with a vaccine that offered 50% protection against COVID that would be the game changer and that would save and protect people and there's no vaccine is will 100% stop you getting COVID but what it does even at 60% what it does is it stops you getting very unwell you may pick up COVID and not even know you have it so you don't even have uh, symptoms but it stops you getting very unwell it stops you going into hospital and the most important one of all it stops you dying so you, you will be okay and I know people are worried and we see all of these numbers and all of that but it's a very good all of them every single vaccine that's that has been approved by the EMA. They're all really good vaccines and the best vaccine is the vaccine that's in your arm. And a listener wants to know, stay safe, and a listener wants to know, Patricia, do you think we'll be able to play darts and rings and pool when we get back into the pub? I don't know, but I'll ask the expert in a couple of minutes. C103 Jobs. 
tractor driver is wanted for the silage season that's in the Bandon area, while Dukon Concrete, they're in Canturk, they're looking for an AutoCAD technician. Childminder wanted, it's for a 10-month-old baby. That's in the Minder's own home in the Newmarket area. And Topper's Takeaways in Turners Cross. They're currently looking to recruit a new member of staff to, to join their growing team. Now, you need to be fle- flexible because hours will include weekdays and weekends. Job comes with an immediate start. You'll find all the details and many, many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. As we've been mentioning all morning, Fault Ireland yesterday published guidelines ahead of the government's decision tomorrow for when indoor dining and drinking in pubs and bars can resume again, most likely sometime in July. Taking a look at the guidelines for us, Michael O'Donovan, who is chair of the Cork branch of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. Uh, good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and I'm told you're actually sitting in your bar this morning, the Castle Inn. I am <laughs> sitting here in the snog right now, uh, looking out, unfortunately, at a, a damp and uh, probably miserable day ahead. But yes, sitting here getting a few jobs done today. Well done. Well, the sun is going to start shining from tomorrow and we have a good weekend, so the, the, the sun is on the way. Um, well, finally, some uh, guidelines. You've gone through them. Are they workable from your point of view? Yeah, look, I, I suppose uh, there's two sections to it, outdoor and indoor. Um, the outdoor section is along the lines of what we were expecting, I suppose. The uh, the one that is stands out is uh, six people at a table aged 13 years and over, but children um, under 13 years of age, you can have up to nine more kids at the table with you. So for larger families, that's a, a welcome thing, you know, especially for staycations when they go away. Uh, on holidays in the months of June, July. Um, And look, I suppose the one disappointing thing that I know a lot of my colleagues had worked on uh, for outdoors is maybe the provision of live music uh, when uh, when we started back. But unfortunately, there was no live music or no loud music. And we're already hearing from some musicians. It really is tough on the musicians, isn't it? It it is. We thought that there would be a proviso, especially when we were outdoors, because tables would be back from stages uh, the musician would be just up on the stage on their own. We we thought we'd be able to have provide that form of entertainment to give the musicians a bit of uh, work coming back into the trade. But unfortunately, the guidelines have have uh, have proved otherwise, and it's 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 a, it's a requirement in it: no live music or no loud music. Now, when you say no loud music, does that rule out a live DJ then? Well, look, it, it doesn't rule out a live DJ, but what it does rule out is a live DJ playing loud music. So, like, uh, you can have background music uh, playing, but it, it, it just Can't cannot be loud. be loud. And that's so, to stop people shouting, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. to stop people shouting. Once people have to raise their voices, we were told that it it, it creates droplets coming out of the mouth. So uh, if the music is uh, is above people having to raise their voices, that's what's deemed as loud music. So um, once the music is, is played... In a in a in a fit manner that won't require people to raise their voices, then that is allowed. The eleven thirty p.m. curfew. Does that mean everybody off the premises by eleven thirty? Yes. So it's closing time is eleven p.m. with thirty minutes then to get people off the. So what we would refer to drinking up time, thirty minutes drinking up time, and everybody off the premises by eleven thirty. Uh, this was been a content, uh, contentious issue because we argued this last year. We'll be arguing it again. 
Um, this will only force people to go back to house parties. We were hoping that it would be towards midnight or, or reinstating the normal closing hours. Unfortunately, for the outdoor at the start, it's it's uh, it's starting off at 11 o'clock. But look, hopefully, uh, as we go through the month of June and see the vaccines improving, we have been told that these guidelines will be revisited. So we might hope to see some movement on that. And is that is that every is that seven days? That is seven days of the week. Yes, okay. there there is no dispensation for a weekend as we would normally have in our licences. But at present, it's seven days a week under the the guidelines. Eleven p.m. Uh, last uh, orders and everybody off the premises for eleven thirty. Can I stand up at the bar and have a pint? Unfortunately, not. No. Every, uh, what will happen now is just like when we were open, say, in September or December, people will come to the premises, they'll be shown to their table, they'll wear their masks once they approach the premises, if it's out on a public area, um, then they will be brought through the premises, if it's a beer garden at the back, if it's out onto a public road, they'll be shown to their table. When seated, people can then remove their mask, but uh, if they need to use the toilets, they must put the mask back on and then they can go and visit the toilets. But while they're in the premises, uh, either in a beer garden at the back of or the side of a premises or out the front in a public area, uh, while they're standing to move only to the toilets, they have to wear a mask. But unfortunately, there's no use of the bar counter yet. Uh, contact tracing, as we had before, where someone in the party has to leave a name and a number, will that still be in force? Yes, yes, contact tracing is uh, required for one member of each party, so one adult of each table of six will have to provide their name, their address and their telephone number. And when we do move indoors, and we still don't have a date on, on that yet, uh, the, there's a two metre rule versus a one metre rule. Yes, look, look. at present, the, what came out in the guidelines yesterday is uh, there's a one metre rule which carries a one hour, 45 minute um, time on it. But as is, as, as is in the guidelines for yesterday, this is only for paid accommodation. So in other words, if you are staying in a hotel um, or a B&B, if they have a licensed premises, if they want to operate at uh, one metre social distancing in their bar, um, then they... Um, then they have to employ a one hour, 45 minute rule. If they're employing the two metre rule, there is no uh, time limit. And it's two, it's not two metres between tables. It's as you sit back to back to the next customer, um, you have to be a metre or two metres apart. So th- there isn't a 105 minute rule then for outdoors? No, for no. outdoors, there is no time limit on the guidelines um, as it is stated, so people will um, will be able to look if they want to book a table or walk to the bar if it has capacity, they will be able to stay. But look, I suppose some bars, if they're doing food, um, just to make it practical, they will probably have to implement a time limit just so that they can get guests through it, uh, through the place, eat, have a few drinks. Uh, and look, I've been told that some will, some won't, and it will be around a two-hour limit that they will implement uh, the ones that, that I've been told that will implement it. Okay, and these that substantial meal, the nine euro substantial meal, that's gone. Thank God, that's yeah, gone. Yeah, okay. that created a divide last year. So yes, no um, pubs that just sell alcohol, just do drinks, just traditional pubs like mine, they will be fully entitled to open on the seventh of June with these guidelines and operate outdoors. And look, hopefully, please God, by the time we get the date tomorrow evening and by the time we get to July and go indoors, that we'll have revisited these guidelines. Um, and, and there'll I, be changes I, to it. I would expect that there will be changes to it by the time we'll get to open indoors in July. 
you're not going to open on the 7th of June though no, unfortunately, I, I can't, uh, Patricia. I'm landlocked here, uh, and my my public footpath out the front is just too narrow. I've bollards outside, so if I was to put uh, one or two tables outside, I just block the footpath, and the the council would not allow us to do that. So, unfortunately, I will have to wait for the Taoiseach's announcement tomorrow evening. Hopefully, it'll be around the first of July, or at least the first week of July, we'll get to open. And I think that's crucial for a lot of um, my colleagues, especially those in tourism hotspots with the schools going back around the week, the 22nd of August, starting that week, the secondary schools, uh, people will be going home to their uh, from their holidays, you know, around 18, 19, 20. Um, so if we're delayed any day into July, that's really cutting into the trade for those um, that depend on the, the holiday market. So uh, every day counts for them. So that's why we need to get open on the 1st of July, hopefully, but at, late, at the latest, that first yeah. week in July. And the thing is, you know, come the 1st of July, we will be well through. I mean, we are steaming ahead with vaccinations. By the 1st of July, there will be so many of the population will actually be fully vaccinated because they'll have their second jab. But failing that, we're still on target for that. At least 80% of the population will have had one jab at that stage. So it'll be, it's a very different landscape. Yeah, look, what, look, talking to politicians and ministers this week, they're actually telling us we're ahead of the target of what they had hoped for uh, by this stage at the end of May. So by the time we get to the end of June, you're right, look, there'll be another 1.8 million vaccines done during the the month of June. um, And that's probably on the lower side. They hope to surpass that. So by the time we get to the end of June, we'll be, you know, in a much better place. And that's why I think, and I'm confident, hopefully, talking to politicians, that these guidelines will be reviewed again and we will see changes ahead of going indoors in July. Okay, with what's in place for outdoors, somebody says, do we need to book a table in advance for the outdoor drinking? Um, Look, that will depend on the individual premises that you're looking to go to. Some will operate a booking system and others will operate just walk-in. So uh, I'd make contact with whatever premises that you are looking to go to on a particular night and maybe it might be prudent just to ring ahead to make sure because, look, when they are outdoors, uh, everybody's working at a reduced capacity. So it's just to, to make sure that you might be able to book a table or talk to the pub and they might be able to sort you out. Can a group of workmates book a number of tables? If 18 of us wanted to go out, could we book three tables? No, unfortunately, it, it states in the, the guidelines that you cannot take multiple bookings. So it's only groups of six at any one table. Um, so you cannot take multiple bookings. The only multiple booking that we can take and pubs are allowed to take it is a wedding. Um, so you can take a wedding booking um, and that can be up to 25 people plus the bride and groom, so 27 people, but that's for a special occasion. That is the only booking that we are permitted to take at present. Okay. Uh, when do you think we'll be able to play darts, rings or pool in a pub again? Listener wants to know. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, that's it's a good question. It came up a good few times last night in Zoom conversations with different uh, uh, Zooms that I was doing. Uh, unfortunately, in the guidelines as it is right now, we can't do it um, because obviously pool darts are indoors. But when we go indoors in July, I would still think it might be a little while off before we'll be allowed to uh, do the pool and darts. But hopefully by the time we get to maybe the end of the summer, mm. uh, things like this might return. When we go indoors, 
look, we'll probably have something like the same guidelines that we will have to be remaining seated for a while. But hopefully by the end of the summer, we uh, will be in a much better place again, even from now. And we can be looking at these kind of things, pool, darts, live music coming back. OK, you mentioned the wedding. Somebody said, when is the wedding numbers to increase and will dancing be allowed? When did you say the 25 can go in, inside for a wedding? Uh, from the 7th of, of June. June. Uh, okay. well, well, that's when the, the pub side of it, I'm not, maybe the hotels might have the 2nd of June. I wouldn't be 100% on the hotel guidelines, um, but uh, definitely for the pubs, they can take a wedding from the 7th of June, and that can be 25 plus the bride and groom, so 27. Um, but I, but again, that wedding would have to be outdoors. The the meal and everything take place outdoors, yeah, which is which is fine if, but not on a day like today. No, unfortunately, not on a day like today. But look, hopefully by the seventh of June, please God, the man upstairs might look down <laughs> and give us a few weeks. Of fine we need weather. a break. We need. We really do. We do need a well, break at this stage. Well, yes, I, I was in the Heineken Brewery this morning. Yeah, uh, doing a little bit of a photo shoot and getting ready, and it was so good to see them back brewing and the truck driver started back last Monday and just to see the smiles and the positivity on the people's faces um, look it's something to look forward to I'm assuming the breweries are working flat out now are they at the moment getting ready yeah, they're getting, they're gearing up and the trucks are, are rolling from this morning and they, you'll see them out on the roads doing deliveries now. They were, they were rolling since Monday doing, um, picking up kegs, empty kegs and things. So kegs have been kegging away for the last week and a half, but from this morning they're back on the roads rolling. So it's, uh, it's all gearing up now towards the 7th of June. And, and there's a lot of work from your guys' point of view getting ready, isn't there? This isn't, I mean, we've always said this, it isn't a case of just switching on the light and opening the front door. No, that's look. I'm here this morning. I, I've had lads in uh, the lines that I had in the uh, east, uh, even though the the lines were cleaned out and everything was done. Um, unfortunately, yeast in the lines keeps growing, even though we're not using them. Um, and some of my lines this morning now we've had to re- replace uh, in anticipation of opening in July. So just getting small jobs done. Um, every week now ahead of the reopening and like the guys that are opening on the 7th would have been doing this probably a couple of weeks ago so yeah you just can't walk in the door unfortunately and turn on the lights and, and open the front door there's a bit of work involved in getting ready Actually somebody obviously got the number wrong but I got a text message the other day from Diageo asking me was had I ordered my kegs and did I, had I, have had I, have you checked your gas lines and BOC beer lines and glassware cleaned cooling system checked and up and running um, obviously they got they put in a wrong number, but you can tell Diageo I don't need to order kegs at the moment. No OK, listen, we'll speak to you uh, again. And by the way, what, what percentage do you reckon will open of your members across um, Cork County will open and, and, and the city yeah, across it, the look, 7th of June? If you asked me this two, three weeks ago, I would have said, you know, about 30%. But yeah. uh, um, from my uh, Zoom calls last night, I think it'll be nearly 50-50. Lots of people are converting outdoor areas at the moment trying to get ready so um, so yeah the number has increased I think a lot are seeing that uh, they just want to get back at it so I think it'll be somewhere close to about 50% of the members will be opening up around the 7th of June Okay and I can see a lot of people are saying you know when they've got their they're fully vaccinated there should be some kind of a bonus and that's what we are and I know we had um, Deputy James O'Connor on earlier uh, Cork um, Cork East Fianna Fáil at all deputy and he's saying that he is hoping in the coming weeks that there will be some kind of a bonus for people who are fully vaccinated so hopefully it will and the knock-on will be uh, for your industry as well Listen uh, Michael pleasure as always thank you for that and uh, look after yourself and we'll chat again no doubt Cheers guys
Good morning. Thanks Patricia. a million. Bye bye. Michael O'Donovan there of the uh, Castle Inn. But he, of course, is chair of the Cork branch of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. 1850 333 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. We're heading to Formoy Garda Station for this week's uh, Garda File with Sergeant John Kelly. And our slot today, we're going to deal with a fraud. Uh, good morning to you, John. Good morning. We're, we're constantly trying to give advice to people about scams and frauds. And unfortunately, people are still getting caught. There's, and scams are uh, proliferating as well. There's no question at all about that. We can see that when we look through our own our own figures. Uh, week on week, we see it proliferating. And it's coming in by text message. It's coming in by email. It's taking, coming in by phone call as well, you know. Um, and I suppose I said... Uh, there that I did just give you a kind of a snapshot in time. Now, this isn't an entire snapshot of time in the last week, but just a snapshot of the type of incidents that we've had over the last week. So I'm just dealing with five of them. And I suppose to start with Tuesday just gone, um, we had an incident where a lady got a, a text message from what she thought was her bank. She followed the instructions in the message and he entered her bank details. Now, uh, a five-figure sum we're talking about there. Uh, the second incident, and that manifested in a, a report that was made to Middleton Garda Station on the same day. A person had a, had a, a number of automated phone calls uh, telling the caller, right, that the PPS number had been used in fraudulent activity. The injured party provided the last three digits of their PPS number, plus their name, plus their air code. Now, to be fair, she got suspicious and hung up at that point, you know. But uh, so this was this was just with a, uh, an automated system. The third one we have, um, and I suppose this is a good news story, and this shows that some of the the new measures being put in by the banks and credit card companies are you know are reaping the reward of stopping it. Um, uh, a caller reported to us that there was an attempted transaction on on his bank card. The transaction was blocked and it was blocked by two-factor authentication. You know where you're buying something, yeah. and uh, the next thing before you're told before this can go through, a code is going to be generated and sent, a one-time passcode is being generated and sent to your mobile phone. So you have to have your mobile phone alongside you uh, to receive the code, um, which that co- that mobile phone is already linked to your account. You know, So two-factor authentication is, is definitely um, having positive effects out there. Um, the fourth incident I have, and that came in via a three mobile number, uh, a UK three mobile number, where uh, a male caller, and um, he told the lady he was talking to that he was after receiving her details from the credit bureau, and he wished to confirm email addresses with her. No, thankfully she hung up straight away because she knew that her details and email address, because of the business she's involved in, were already freely available on the internet, for you, you know, for anybody <clears throat> to get. Um, the fifth incident that we have, and that's from the 20th of this month in Mitchellstown. <clears throat> and this is something uh, different um, in that uh, it's just a variation of everything we've had before. But in this particular case, the injured party, they got a phone call from a male caller, uh, told her that um, he was working on behalf of AIR. And he got her to do, download an app onto her laptop. The injured party then entered her bank account details onto the app. Uh, 
later that day, they, she contacted Ayer to discover the call didn't come from them. So subsequently, she contacted her bank. All in all, uh, there was four amounts taken from her account, totaling uh, 2.5K. Uh, so two and a half. Two and a half thousand euro. Yes, four different transactions. My you know? God. So, like, it's beginning to, when we look at incidents occurring, the amount of uh, financial reward uh, from, from from burglaries and from thefts, uh, I, you know, there's a lot more being made out of fraud at the moment. We can see that ourselves. Now, the Garda National Cybercrime Bureau, you, you know, only issued a warning again this week, and they're asking people, you know, no matter what, you know, to report it. You know, let us know, you know, what is happening, any attempts uh, or, or, you know, or anything, anything in that nature. And, you know, the main things that we have to tell people, you know, is do not engage, you know, be very much scam aware. Do not click on links. Do not download apps. You know, if, if the caller, uh, if you do not know, if the caller gets to the point straight away and is suddenly, uh, you know, it's not the call you're expecting, just, just hang up. Um, there's plenty of good cybersecurity tips also to be had there on uh, www.garda.ie. And also, um, what I find very good as well is the fraud smart. Um, that's that's one where all the banks have come together and there's a lot of information. That, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really good website. Very good website, you know. And any, we just, you bring your A game, as soon as it's an unsolicited call, you just straight away get suspicious from any unsolicited call or text or email. Correct, correct, yeah. If you haven't asked for the call, now, I would emphasise again, the banks are not going to be going to be ringing you in this manner. Okay, the revenue commissioners are not going to be ringing you. You know, there's no agencies, there's no uh, you, you credit card companies, you know, do not take calls. I, I know sometimes a credit card company might ring you, right? But I won't even take that call mm. because as far as I'm concerned, even though they may have my uh, <clears throat> number and they're offering this loan or that loan, you know, I won't engage with them because, I mean, you're otherwise you're... Uh, the general standard thing you do not engage with something like that unless you request the service Yeah and I remember a number of years ago uh, I had a credit card that got compromised and I woke up one Saturday morning to a text from the bank saying Mm. and there was a telephone number on it but rather than ring the telephone number I checked to find out what was the fraud department of my bank uh, and found out that it was the correct number and I rang and and then I rang them but I didn't straight away just say okay I'm going to ring that number now and it was just my card had been compromised and, and we got it sorted out but you just need to it's dreadful that we have to live this way but unfortunately it's it's a sign of the times and then we've had the HSC cyber security attack and we had an expert on during the week who was making the point that you're going to have other scam artists piggybacking on the back of the HSC people letting on that they have your information and they don't have your information so you need to be very aware of that as well 100% 100 there's going to be uh, there's going to be plenty of those scam artists ringing uh, from now on you know and you know we're asking people just do not engage yeah. you know with, with with anything like that i mean scams always proliferate on the back of, of of what's coming if they see if they see an opportunity they'll just change a scam that's a normal scam for them they'll just change it a little bit uh, and mimic whatever is in the public news out there now the the hse hack was was a major hack and um it, it obviously is something that uh we hear from 
companies, a number of companies have been compromised. And it could be uh, what believe a situation where some companies have been compromised and some individuals have been compromised and have paid up and have not even reported it, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's coming back to us. They're blackmailers. They're blackmailers, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the more you feed the crocodile, the bigger he's going to get. Well said, well said. You know? All right, John, listen, good words of advice. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for Thank joining us on the programme. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, that is Sergeant John Kelly, based at Fomoy Garda State. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Friends, the reunion is on Sky One tonight at eight o'clock. Now, it's already aired in the States. So there's been uh, loads of talk about what actually happens in this particular show. I think in total it runs for about one hour, 40 minutes, but it's going to be two hours. Obviously, <laughs> we'll sit down to watch it because of the ad breaks. And it has taken 17 years to get all of the six stars on screen uh, together. And one of the things seemingly that they chat about uh, when they're all sitting down together uh, is, it, well, it's the first time in 17 years that they've all been together. They they do regularly meet up with each other. Like they talk about the fact that if they're ever at a party and they might bump into one of the others at a party. And whenever that happens, whoever two of the six friends they'll sit down and they'll chat and they literally exclude everybody else because it's one of those friendships and we all have those friendships whereby you may not see somebody for many many years and the minute you meet up again it's as if you've only been together last week and you sit down and and you catch up so it looks like they have that wonderful wonderful uh, friendship between all of them So, so basically what happens in it is they arrive one by one what they've done is the studio have set up the old set lovingly recreated it the way it was when the guys would have left it 17 years ago so one by one they come in and it's uh, James Corden of course uh, is hosting this sort of friends uh, reunion and then you'll see scenes where they sit on the sofa in the girls apartment they sit on the sofa at Central Park the coffee house and they also there's a scene where they sit on the sofa in the front of the fountain you know the one from the title sequence so we just have a couple of clips from the show uh, tonight if you are like me excited about watching Friends, the reunion uh, show. And this is what I imagine is one of the opening scenes. And this is where the cast are telling James Corbin how it feels to be together at filming. It's been so fantastic and exciting. And we've literally just sort of slipped right back, right as we usually do. David, how, how have you found this time? Um, really emotional, really, really fun, actually. I felt after the initial shock of just being in the same room together, just, um, I think we all just fell right into our same old, <laughs> our same old um, kind of joking around. Like, we're a family, and so it, was, it really was. Regressed. Uh, we regressed. A true, <laughs> we regressed. Back to 20. We regressed, yeah. <laughs> and then there is a scene where they get them to read some of the old scripts. And this is the scene of Phoebe and Ross Discovering, remember this one, Chandler and Monica kissing, and they they view it from Ross's new apartment. And this was this is them rereading that particular scene. Hey, you guys! Hey! Chandler and Monica are standing close together. They start taking off each other's clothes. Phoebe's mind is totally blown. Oh! Oh! <laughs> oh! Oh! <laughs> Rachel sees what Phoebe is seeing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Chandler and Monica! Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my eyes! I know. My eyes! Phoebe, Phoebe, Phoebe! Phoebe! Oh! It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. They're doing it! I know. It. I know. I actually know. I know. 
boss doesn't know, so you have to stop screaming. What's going on? It looks really good. No, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. Get in here. It looks pretty good. Get in here. Hug it out. Hug it out. Hug it out. Hug it out. No. And I actually could picture that original scene. Uh, well done, well done. As I say, that is on uh, tonight. I'm just indulging myself there slightly. That is on tonight if you were a fan of uh, Friends. As I say, it certainly was the sitcom that defined the 90s and there really has been nothing like it uh, since. So Friends, the reunion, Sky One tonight at 8 o'clock. If, like me, I hope you will enjoy it. OK, let me go to some of your calls and texts coming into the programme we were speaking with Sergeant John Kelly who was talking through scams and it's just shocking to see and hear that people are still getting caught out by some of these scam artists either over the phone or by text or by email. Pat in Clonakilty uh, is quite shocked to hear what Sergeant John Kelly had to uh, say. People just, you do not engage with these people. Yeah, but for whatever reason, some of them are really good and people just get uh, sucked in and it really is uh, hard. Okay, we were talking about the guy Guidelines, the Fault Ireland guidelines in the last hour. Uh, Mike Fitzgerald is agreeing with uh, Johnny who contacted us on behalf of musicians. He said musicians are being totally ignored. They've got no break at all since last March when we went into the very first lockdown and it seems like it won't happen this year. A lot of bands and groups will not return to any form of business anymore. You can't help but have huge sympathy and I couldn't when that came out yesterday that there was to be no live music and even listening to Michael O'Donovan from the Vintners Federation they were very disappointed with it as well because they were hoping on an outdoor setting you know you could have a little stage area away from everybody you know and have some music some entertainment but I suppose going back to no loud music they don't want people shouting so they don't want people singing and if you go to a live gig isn't that what people are, are going to be doing but it's just it's it's just gut-wrenching for anybody in the, in the entertainment world I just feel so sorry for them we've said it all along they were first the first to, to lose their jobs because of lockdown and it definitely is starting to look like they will be one of the last to go back uh, in. Okay, my text messages just decided to up and disappear on me right there. So I'm in the middle of, of uh, reading them. Okay, let me go to some of your WhatsApps because they're here at the moment. This is our friend, the North Cork man living who listens to us all the time in Germany where it's always great to have him along and he's a great man to send on a WhatsApp. He says, hi Patricia, hope you're well. Listening to you on the reopening of bars, hotels and restaurants in Ireland, just to give you the the perspective from us here in Germany. In Germany, you are allowed a table of six, so similar to what we're doing here in uh, Ireland. And you also must do contact uh, tracing. But there's a little bit of a difference if you want to go out for a drink in in Germany. You also must have a negative COVID test 48 hours before going to the pub. And by the way, there is only outside drinking. There's no indoor dining or indoor drinking uh, yet. We're hoping that that may become on track next month. And even then, the same guidelines will be in place. You'll have to have a negative COVID test. And, for, and that's even for people who are fully vaccinated. It is strange 
but it's the way it is and I have to say it seems to be working. Germany has finally controlled the virus and the vaccine rollout is moving on at a good pace. Just to let you know I'm getting my first vaccine today. Thank God. Oh that's such good news. Happy days. I can see light at the end of the tunnel and brighter days uh, coming. Stay safe and remember we are all still in this together. We will soon be getting those. We will soon be able to enjoy the reopening of our country. Don't go crazy now. Be safe from your North Cork man living in Germany and he's that gentleman is so desperate to get on a plane and to come home and see his uh, family. I think he hasn't been home since is it 2019 since before the the pandemic uh, started it so my, my heart goes out to him but great news to hear that you're getting the vaccine hopefully everything goes well for you and the advice from this side is that everybody seems to be doing and it seems to be working is take your Panadol before you go and then have the Panadol with you in case you do get any of what are relatively mild side effects but uh, people are certainly doing that and it seems to be working and on heading back out to the pub a couple of people in with sort of a similar view Kieran was first he was on from Bandham he said I'd love to hear other people's views on uh, this and if they've had similar conversations with their own friends or families that bars start to reopen for outside drinking and dining I asked a group of my friends will we head out and will we book a table or two and to my surprise they were more interested in meeting up in somebody's garden rather than heading out to a bar they felt they just weren't interested as you're still curtailed you won't be able to move freely around the bar you'll have to sit at your, your table they're more happier and more relaxed in somebody's back garden and I'm wondering are others finding this as well I thought everybody would be up to heading out but maybe I am wrong not everyone I suppose it's the mindset some people will be really into I've heard of some people who literally can't wait to get outside the door but there will always be others who will feel more relaxed and still a bit nervous I think about going there is a sense of nervousness there as well and then other people I think have got into a rush and people I think have to be careful of this people have gotten into a rush and have gone in some ways into themselves and in I won't say enjoying well maybe enjoying their own company but some people are are saying that they're finding it very hard to go out and socialise to go out and do anything that they've just gotten so used to being at home I mean who would have thought this time last year that we'd still be talking about it a year later you know we're over a year in living with these restrictions and people just need to be careful of that That because there's a big beautiful world out there and we're coming out of this lockdown and once we all do it sensibly we can get back out to that big beautiful world and socialise again and be with people I mean that's we, we are sociable creatures and we need to mingle and we need to chat with people and just get back to some kind of normality but we just have to do it slowly. But Jim is also kind of in the same vein. Jim says, I don't want to be a stick in the mud here. I love my pint at my local but now I haven't had a pint in a pub since they closed back in March of last year. What I've started to do was have a can or two at home maybe a vodka or two but I've noticed since I had my vaccinations for COVID-19 that I don't want to drink alcohol at home and I don't care if the pubs open or close. Now I don't know how long this will last for but I'm going along with it as of now. Anyway, I found I'm sleeping better and I'm not getting up during the middle of the night to go for a wee. Has this happened to anybody else? I find I'm off the drink and I'm now dry, says uh, Jim. And it wasn't something he consciously did. It's something that's just happened. And he, he says, particularly since he got the vaccination, isn't that interesting? Has no hankering for a drink at home at, home at all. And it's good to know that you are 
that you're sleeping better as well, uh, Jim. So no doubt you'll stick with it. But when the pubs reopen and when you feel up to it, you can, you don't, as we often hear from people, you don't always have to go to a pub to drink alcohol. You can go down and have a mineral. You could go down and have a cup of coffee. You could go out and socialise and meet people as well. There's a lot of other p- things that you can do. But let's see, has anybody else noticed that they've sort of gone, gone completely off the drink? Because you were in the habit of maybe going for your odd pint to the local. You might have done it every every week or every couple of weeks. And because you're out of the habit, you've no hankering now to go back. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 1850-333-103. And then Caroline in uh, Kilbert's kind of scratching her head on this one. She's just home after her second Pfizer jab. Well done, uh, Caroline. She got it as her GP surgery. The nurse who administered the jab said, after two weeks, you'll be fully vaccinated. But, says Caroline, I've since seen on the HSE website, it says seven days after the Pfizer vaccine, you're fully after the second Pfizer vaccine, you're fully vaccinated. While well, it's 14 days from the Moderna. I'm wondering which is right, says Caroline. You're not the first who has raised that. I know my own mother-in-law was Pfizer jabbed at her doctor and she went back for her second jab and she was told 10 days after the second jab that she would be fully vaccinated. And like you, I had checked online for her and saw that it was it was seven days. So the HSE are saying seven. Some G practices are saying 10, some are saying 14, others are saying uh, seven. I just, I would err on the side of of the caution of, I've no, I don't know what fully vaccinated, will that make any difference to your life, Caroline, because there isn't much of a vaccine uh, bonus. But it does, it seems to differ. It, and I don't know why it does, but it certainly does seem to differ from one GP or from, but it's somewhere between seven and 14 days uh, for sure. 1850 Hi Patricia, just to make listeners aware of this outpatient appointments at Mallow General Hospital. They're now being generated from a manual waiting list that was obviously due to the cyber attack on the HSE, even though I did see a thing today where the HSE are now asking their workers to start turning on their computers. So we're, we're getting we're getting back there slowly. But anyway, at the moment, this is what Mallow General Hospital are doing. They're generating from a manual waiting list. So some patients may get called earlier than expected for an appointment. It happened to a family member of mine who was due to go for a checkup six months after her last appointment in February. But she ended up getting an appointment for next week. And that started to worry all of us, the closeness with the last appointment. So I queried to find out what was going on to discover that it isn't a matter of urgency. It's just they don't have access to the computerised system, hence the earlier appointment. But my advice is to anyone in the same situation is don't panic and to query the appointment. The administration staff are extremely helpful and it isn't their fault. I'm presuming that the same will apply at, say, Bantry General Hospital and indeed many other of the city hospitals as well. And there is that sense of panic you know, if a hospital said, I don't need to see you for six months and when you, if you get a call back after three months, you think, oh God, there's something wrong was there something wrong with my last test? But it's not. But that's And it's good to know that. It's just that they're manually generating it. And again, kudos to all of the the staff in the hospitals who again who were already the HSE staff because of the pandemic many of them many of them have just been working uh, flat out and then we had this awful shocking cyber attack and that you know and the work that they've had to put in is is just incredible Uh, John says Hi Patricia a friend of mine refuses to get the vaccine the thing is she goes to see her dad in a nursing home should that be allowed 
Uh, again, they're not stopping anyone who hasn't had a, a vaccine and we're not at that stage yet when everyone, when everyone is fully vaccinated or everybody wants a vaccine. Vaccines, they, can, they will never force a vaccine on uh, anyone. And I did see a piece at the weekend. It was from one of the CDC's, you know, Dr. Anthony Fauci's gang in America, same as our NIAC. They're, what are they, the Centre of Disease control in America and they were it was a really interesting piece they were making the point that once you're fully vaccinated a fully vaccinated person presents no threat to another fully vaccinated person but also presents no threat to a person who's not vaccinated a not vaccinated person presents no threat to a fully vaccinated person but a not a not vaccinated person only presents a risk to another not vaccinated person so the fact that your friend's dad is in a nursing home I'm assuming the dad is fully vaccinated so she's not presenting a risk to to the dad which is what you don't want and you you know, and you want to make sure that everybody in the nursing home that they're all safe and protected. So she really is, she's putting her own health at risk, but that is her own choice. But she's also, by not getting vaccinated, remember we vaccinate to protect ourselves, but we also vaccinate to protect other people, particularly vulnerable people. That's what she does. She puts other vulnerable people at risk, but it's her choice and you can't force her to get vaccinated. And another person said the only person that the vaccine is not good for are the people that have died. I know, right, you are. 1850 333103. Patricia, on eating, this eating out business, drinking outside, I'm telling you, in this country, it'll be a severe test of endurance. I've just turned the heating on full in my house, and it's June next week. I won't be putting away the long johns yet. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie. Castletown Bear Development Association will be holding their drive in bingo. That's on this Friday evening. It's the east end of the pier. Starts at half seven. The jackpot, €1,400. 48 calls are less. Always a great night with lots of prizes. And Kildallery have their drive in bingo also tomorrow night. Theirs is 8 o'clock and that's in the Creamery Yard. And I know somebody, Mary, was asking will our game of bingo ever restart again? At the moment it's just drive in uh, bingos. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully in the not too distant future those indoor events will start again. And Dara Community Centre, they are currently holding a fundraising clothes collection. You can leave donations of unwanted clothes, shoes, handbags, household textiles at the Dara Community Centre on Wednesday mornings but also on Saturday mornings between 11am and 12. Please ensure that your items for donation are in a strong plastic bag and they're tied at the top. And a reminder to anybody facing food poverty in the West Cork area that the Feed West Cork Food Band they're helping people in need in a very discreet and confidential way. If you need a helping hand please get in touch by phone or text and you need to contact them by Thursday so today is the last day if you want a food hamper tomorrow 087 28 and then your hamper will be ready for collection tomorrow. You can also go through their Facebook Messenger and anybody out there who would like to make donations to the West Cork Food Bank you can contact Esther on that same number 87 Court today on C103 with Jean Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. 
Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Cusack Insurance is Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie This is the Court Today replay on C103. Anna Mala wants to know is the Killarney Road uh, opened yet that's after that uh, crash at the race course when it was closed earlier I just checked on a road watch uh, and two hours ago it was still closed but they haven't updated that yet we'll get onto the guards and find out uh, if the road is open we were told it would be closed for a number of hours so hang in there Anne and if we get an update we will bring it to you now yesterday the Royal Independent Group of TDs introduced a private members motion calling for the establishment of an independent regulator for the beef sector. West Cork Social Democrat TD Holly Kearns joins me with her views on why such a beef regulator is uh, needed. Uh, good afternoon to you Holly. Hi Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now we all remember the protests back in 2019 and it was agreed that farmers would come off the picket line and they would meet and a beef task force would be set up. What happened since then? Yeah, um, so as well, I think for most of your listeners, they would remember this, but for a lot, they wouldn't. So just to put a broader context around those protests that started, um, you know, because I think it's good to, to acknowledge this, that this is an ongoing issue for decades. So 30 years ago, there was a beef tribunal in the early 90s that was examining serious allegations of political influence in relation to alleged abuses of the system and failure of regulatory authorities. And the conclusion of the beef tribunal was widespread improper relationships between the beef industry and the government. And it also stressed the lack of regulation. So we had situations where the dole was recalled. I think the only other time that has ever happened is during the pandemic. The dole was recalled because Larry Goodman was going into liquidation in Holland and the Irish government came back and bailed him out. And it transpired that he'd been making really sizable donations to the political parties that were in power at the time. In any case, 30 years later, do you know what has changed? So, you know, we saw the, the protests. Um, length and breadth of the country um, the, the, the farmers on the picket lines at that time agreed to come off the picket lines um, if, you know, as a, if the beef task force would be established um, and so what has happened since then is basically um, members of the beef task force are expressing their frustration because there's been such little impact, this is 18 months later um, because all of the major systematic imbalances still remain um, so like it was agreed when they came off the picket line and decided to form the task force that part of the discussion 
would be around uh, an independent um, regulator in the industry. And, and an instead, independent regulator would be set up who would establish new rules and who would have robust powers. Exactly. And so it was agreed that that would be up for the discussion. That has yet to go on the agenda in the Beef Task Force. So it's really important to note that. And what the government are proposing to do in place of an independent regulator is to introduce a food ombudsman, which is very welcome. I don't think anybody has any um, issue with a food ombudsman. Very important. But what the food ombudsman does is oversees existing rules. And like those rules we know are failing. So what we want is an independent regulator that can bring in new rules and actually monitor uh, the state of play. Because, you know, it's worth noting, Patricia, that there used to be a law that prevented below-cost selling, which protected primary producers and small retailers. And that law was repealed in 2005 by the then Minister for Enterprise, Michael Martin. You know, like, that's the kind of thing that we need in place. We need new rules. Um, but but that is yet yet to happen. And at the moment, the system is basically designed to work for beef barons while small farms fade away and young farmers have no choice but to pursue another career. And the government still aren't addressing this. You know, and it's got to be one of the only industries where you have like many beef and suckler farmers running at a loss, like an industry where the primary producer is running at a loss. Absolutely. And like I said, it's a shame we don't have that law still in place to protect primary producers and small retailers. But I suppose like on the whole, what we've seen in Ireland is a complete transformation of agriculture in my lifetime. You know, when we hear conversations about the direction we're going in relation to agriculture, oftentimes you hear, and this is mainly driven by, you know, the Department of Agriculture and people in government saying, oh, any change to our um, agriculture policy would decimate Irish farms and all of this kind of thing. But like, you know, we never had that conversation about the change that we've undergone in the last 30 years, which has been really detrimental for the most part to the small Irish farms. So, like, just as an example, Patricia, and I'm sure loads of your listeners would have experienced this, but, like, I grew up on a small dairy farm in West Cork. I was reared on the income of between 12 and 16 dairy cows, imagine. Like, that is completely unviable now. The kind of, a lot of farms would be around you know, between 30 and 50 acres. We've run 30-acre farm. Um, and that was sustainable then. Then that became completely unsustainable because we're consistently moving towards a more industrialised model that requires you to have a much more intensively stocked farm in order to, to make a profit. So we had to move out of dairy. It just wasn't viable anymore. We went into beef. That is becoming completely unviable now and we're slowly kind of destocking the farm altogether because there really is no point in us doing it, even though it's very sad, you know, particularly for my mother who's always had livestock and feels very strongly about it. It's a, it's a really difficult thing for small farms to to experience and there's a real kind of shame then associated with it because what we have is a few different things we need to address here there's this kind of culture now in Irish agriculture more and more that it's like who has the biggest herd who has the biggest number of acres and if you're not in that bracket you're not a real farmer so then there's a real reluctance to speak out about how this policy that has been driven by our government successive governments for years now actually affects the small farmer and it really does have a negative effect and what we see is when these small farms go out of business and um, they oftentimes sell up, you know, sell the land, and that often goes to a, a bigger, um, for the most part, big dairy farm. And I think it's really important with a good dairy sector. But just to highlight the, the kind of the way that we're heading is really distinctly intensively stocked dairy farms and the demise of the smaller farm. Um, so when we see those small farms selling up to the bigger farms, you see, you know, a, a real kind of decline in employment in that sector. So you could go from having 15 farms in the area to going to, to five. So that, you know, is really bad for rural areas, for our economies, for our culture and, and social life and everything when there's less jobs provided. And then when those small farms close down, you also see 
uh, you know, a lot of the small abattoirs, I mean, what's left of them are closing down at the moment. Then you see small butchers closing down. Then you see derelict buildings in our towns and villages. Like this constant policy of driving intensification is seen as the only way forward for Irish agriculture. The arguments, you know, that we have to feed the growing population. All of these arguments are quite frankly ridiculous. Yeah, and, and it's the social fabric of, a, of an area. If the small farmer is gone, it means the little family that he would have raised on that farm uh, is n- no longer going to be there. The children aren't available to go into the schools, so the school numbers go down. They lose a teacher. They eventually close. I mean, th- it's a huge knock-on effect, not just for the family that are, are losing this tradition that has probably been in the family for many generations of farming this particular patch of land. Absolutely, it has a massive impact on, on the entire community. And, you know, at, ultimately at the end of the day as well, this policy uh, that we're, we're kind of running with now for the last few decades is really driving an increase in emissions. And one of my biggest frustrations before going into politics was uh, the kind of narrative that you see politicians spinning around this. That any attempt uh, to take climate action will negatively reshape Irish agriculture, as if farming communities have nothing at stake in relation to climate change. And also consistently defending farmers in relation to uh, climate change insinuates that they've done something wrong. And I just really want to highlight to your listeners that there is, I've never met a farmer who gets up in the morning and says, Today I'm going to go out now and release as many emissions as I possibly can, and then I'll go and destroy as much of the natural habitat and biodiversity as. I possibly can. Like, that's not a real... It's the exact thing. opposite. It's, it's the, the exact, exact opposite. opposite, yeah. And the way we farm is so directly uh, decided by the department that it's really important to highlight that. So we have a, de- a department official comes out to our farm every year and docks us money off for our area aid payment if we have any kind of natural habitat going on in the farm. We have the new so-called environmental scheme that is disallowing payments for areas with gorse and heather, which we know are really important. But ultimately, the way we farm is directly incentivised by the Department of Agriculture. There's no two ways about it. So if you're barely making ends meet, which the majority of Irish farmers are, if you're going to operation on a small scale, of course you're going to do what you need to do to get the payments. What we need is for the policy to change. And this constant narrative around blaming farmers is pointless and unhelpful. And I wish that especially politicians would stop joining in in that ridiculous debate because ultimately what we have at the moment is, that, and this the, the figures won't be exactly correct in this, but just as a kind of overall look at the reality of what happens, is if you have €50 Euro on the table, you, you know, about in relation to beef, maybe Larry Goodman's getting about €30 Euro of that. The supermarket might be getting about 15 and then the farmer was left with about five. Yeah, you see, um, I think a, a lot of people, do, it, 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 that, that's just mind-boggling when you put it like that because we have this great tradition in beef and suckler farming. We produce some of the highest quality uh, products that's recognised all over the world. Yet it feels like the primary producer is just being taken for granted in all of this. Absolutely. And like you say, we do have some of the best beef in the entire world. And sadly, at the moment, a lot of it is being sold as supermarket brand in the UK. So not even as, you know, quality Irish beef or, or, or anything like that. And ultimately, what we're doing is very dangerous in terms of our agriculture sector, because it's hugely important for us economically, um, our exports from agriculture. And the reason that we do so well um, as an agricultural exporter is because we're recognised as having a green brand, having a really good quality um, of food produce in this country. But ultimately, we're moving away from that. And, you know, when you look at it in terms of that green brand, it's so important for our sales. You know, we're actually less green than the vast majority of countries in Europe, the way that our farming has gone. And that leaves us in a very precarious position, because if we lose that green image and that green brand, 
it's very hard to build that back yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, so almost impossible to, to get it back. So, what, what's your gut instinct? Will we will we have an independent beef regulator? You know, like I said, thirty years later, what's changed? And the reality is, we still have a system that makes you know a small few incredibly wealthy at the expense of farmers and ultimately uh, workers in meat plants, often very vulnerable ones. Um, so the system's still designed to, to work for beef barons. I've yet to see any real sign from government they're going to change tack and show us that they really are on our side this time. You know, introducing a food ombudsman is really lip service to what the, the beef task force were looking for and the people who protested. Um, so I can't say that I'm confident that that will happen at the moment, Patricia, but I think it's really important that we all have an awareness of this and this, this because I think sometimes we don't see the Department of Agriculture as a public service like we do, for example, the Department of Education, the Department of Health, but it absolutely is. And as consumers, even if you don't have a connection to a farm, um, as a consumer, I think we have a right to know that our food is produced in a fair and ethical way. Absolutely. And at the moment, absolutely. it absolutely is not, and it really is at the expense of farmers. Um, okay. All right, listen, it's uh, it's an issue we certainly will return to. But in the meantime, Holly, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you so much. Good Patricia. morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Social Democrats, uh, Dáil Deputy for West Cork, uh, Deputy Holly Carnes. Now, we've been on to Mallow Gardaí and thank you to a couple of people who were on the Navigation Road in Mallow and said a half an hour ago it was still closed. It is still closed. Uh, they say the Navigation Road that's by the race course will remain closed. They're saying now until late afternoon, to no time frame on it but it'll be late afternoon and that was due to the collision area and because of that their air traffic is very heavy coming from the Cork side heading to Mallow. I don't know if the roadworks are still ongoing because obviously now there's diversions in place by the race course. There was, a, a, the roadworks I'm assuming are still going on on the bridge uh, on the coming from the Cork side heading into Mallow as well so that's going to add to it so I would, if you could avoid at all, uh, if you could avoid the round about that general area that's what I would be suggesting that you would do so traffic heavy at the moment but the navigation road outside of Mallow still closed due to that uh, collision and just on vaccines the Thonish that has come out this morning and said that the government now is likely to miss the target of having 82% of all adults given a first vaccine by the end of June and the reason for this is there is now going to be a very significant under delivery of the single shot Johnson & Johnson vaccine. We were expecting I think it was about 200,000 shots of Johnson & Johnson were expected to come in June but now Johnson & Johnson have said sorry folks, you know that delivery we promised you, we're not going to be able to make that so that's going to be a huge disappointment for a number of people but somebody actually was picking up on that, the shortage of the supply of Johnson & Johnson and uh, is wondering will it affect people aged over five aged over the age of 45 will the younger age group still get vaccinated with another vaccine thanking you well the younger people will get vaccinated with the, with a different vaccine because as we know uh, the younger age group are not to be offered Johnson & Johnson are not to be offered AstraZeneca they're going to get Pfizer or Moderna and I know for the 40 to 49 year olds it has been recommended initially it was recommended that they wouldn't get either uh, 
AstraZeneca or Johnson Johnson but then NIAC came out and said if there was nothing else available they would get it so I imagine what they will now do because there's going to be a shortage of Johnson Johnson they will continue to vaccinate the 40 year olds those in their 40s but they will be offered either Pfizer or Moderna I'm imagining that that's what is going to happen but will it slow it up? Yeah obviously it will and it worries me to hear the Thonish to come out and say that they're now going to miss that target of 82% and that's and it's listen we can't blame the government and you can't blame the HSE because they've been doing so well and we were up to now up to this week we were ahead of what they had projected so they had actually been hoping that that 82% of adults to get a first vaccine by the end of June they were actually looking if we kept going the way we're going they were looking at that we could reach that target probably around somewhere in the middle of June but now it looks because of that uh, disappointing news coming from the Johnson John, the makers of Johnson Johnson Janssen that there are going to be there is going to be much less than what we were promised in June but it does mean it'll come on board in July instead 1850 103 and John Paul says he's getting a couple of calls in from people unhappy at the at the UK unhappy as they see the UK moving uh, ahead oh yeah I know what people are talking about the Northern Ireland and I'm assuming this is right across the UK but certainly for Northern Ireland I saw this on Twitter earlier the earlier today or was it last night they have now opened up the vaccination programme for people over the age of 18 in Northern Ireland and obviously across the border we're now being told we're not going to be fully vaccinated by the end of our 82% are not going to be vaccinated by the end of June so people are extremely uh, worried about that. I did see that vaccination for children the first COVID-19 vaccine for children aged 12 to 15 is expected to get approval. The European Medicines Agency expected to give the nod tomorrow. The vaccine, it's the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. It has been given the green light already by the FDA, which is their equivalent in the United States. So they are planning to start vaccinating 12 to 15 years in the United States if they haven't done so already. The European Medicines Agency will hold a top committee meeting tomorrow and it'll give its final assessment of the vaccine. So if the EMA, which is expected to say, yes, Pfizer is okay for 12 to 15 year olds, then it comes over to us here to our National Immunisation Advisory Committee, NIAC. NIAC will examine all of the evidence around the vaccine and then they will make the decision whether to recommend or not that it gets rolled out for 12 to 15 year olds. If it does get rolled out to 12 to 15 year olds, it would mean that that Pfizer jab for young people would be available to secondary school students from the start of the next academic year. So it would kick in from uh, September. So we'll keep an eye out to see what has been happening with with the EMA when when they make that decision tomorrow. People are still asking about registration for people aged 40 to 44. That portal isn't opened yet. It's expected that it will open sometime next week. And then for people who are contacting us who are on this in the 16 to 64 year old age group, these are the people who've got underlying health conditions. Now this is the first time that the vaccine programme that the HSE has come out and said the cyber attack on the HSE is actually delaying the it's delaying the vaccination appointments for peop, some people at high risk of COVID nineteen. It's those people aged sixteen to sixty four whose GP have decided not to get involved in administering the vaccine. This is for people in cohort four and cohort uh, seven 
when the do- GPs themselves, many of the GPs did the over 70s and then decided they weren't going to get into vaccinating cohort four and cohort uh, seven. They all had their own reasons why they didn't want to get involved in that. But then what happened if a GP decided not to give the vaccines, the doctors then instead had to go onto the HSE to say we're not getting involved these are the patients but obviously with everything that's going on they haven't been able to do that so the HSE then are instead going to open up a vaccination a portal just for that age group but because of the cyber attack they haven't been able to uh, do it but it's been put on hold but they, they are the HSE is attempting to put an alternative system in place for this group and again as soon as we have any information on that we will give it to you at the moment the HSE portal is open for anybody over the age of 45 up to uh, 69 but for the 16 to 64 year olds even though some of the people in that age group will have registered I'm assuming and will have got their vaccine based on their age but certainly if they're under the age of between 16 and 45 with an underlying health condition they are still waiting 1850 John Paul taking your calls Court today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie So that's where we leave you for today my thanks to uh, John Paul for producing the program Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning for the final one of the week Friday's uh, program until then I'm Patricia Messenger stay safe Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.